When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. It's the Final Week Cricket Podcast with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. And the reason there's a bit of an echo in the room is we're sitting echo, in a, echo, echo. What would you call it? A conference centre, a boardroom of sorts. Mm-hmm. Not quite a boardroom, not quite that flash. Oh, at it's the, a boardroom. We're taking this straight to the top, Collins. <laughs> it's, uh, we're I in want the, those reports on my desk last week. <laughs> the, the, I wouldn't, the, and it's not quite the Athletes Village either. We're, we're, in, no. we're in the um, inner sanctum. Yeah. Uh, we are inside the um, security canopy where the players and officials are, which there, we've been admitted there, into to do an interview. There's not an athlete. Athletes Village because they kept it dispersed, uh, so it was I think to avoid everybody getting COVID back when they were actually ah, worrying worried about right. those sort of things. I think maybe that was a deal, but uh, let's just give you a peek behind the curtain. We had to come to this hotel, go to a security tent, give them our passes. At which point, someone went up the stairs to the fourth floor to get a temporary pass to bring it down to us to give it to us, and then accompany us back up to the same place where we gave it back to the person who'd just given it to them in order to take one lift four floors, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, be parked at this table just next to the desk where we gave the passes back to the people who gave them to us. So it's been good. It reminds <laughs> me of my experience a decade ago working on the London Olympic Games. I had I had 100 people working for me. Mm. A, a combination of paid staff and volunteers at my right. venue at, at Ells Court across the road or across the, across the mm. fortnight. And it, it's reasonable to say that at different points through the fortnight, people were scratching around for stuff to do because you get in a rhythm and, you know. Sure. And there were all of these procedures and protocol around everything. Mm-hmm. And when push came to shove, you know, Major events are overstaffed and thus everyone's looking for something right. to do. Yeah. So I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised that I was going to raise a, a, an interesting anecdote from that, but I thought actually it might not be in my, in my interest long term to talk okay. about one of the stories I was going to tell then. <laughs> anyway, but yes, a privilege to be here. And the reason we are here is, as you all know, if you've clicked the link on the show, we have interviewed Catherine Brunt. We've just finished chatting to her for about 45 minutes or thereabouts. We could have spoken to her for Four and a half hours. She's, she's that kind of character. Uh, she's an absolute beauty. I'm sure you're going to love this chat. And predictably, she's got a lot to say. Yeah. Um, sometimes you sit down with people who are ready and willing to talk. Um, and, and I love how open she's willing to be about her life and herself now. It felt like sitting down with an old friend and just having a chat. All right. We'll reflect on the interview uh, once we've played it out. Let's do that now. This is The Final Word with Catherine Brunt. Enjoy. We are at the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, opposite us in a conference room style thing is the great Catherine Brunt at the Commonwealth Games for the first time with, of course, cricket in this tournament for the first time, for women anyway. You couldn't have possibly imagined playing in a tournament like this when your career started way back when, could you? Absolutely not. Um, I didn't think it was a possibility either. Even, like, it's not even... 
come to my mind where I would have that in my head saying, let's push it forward, let's try and get this happening or anything. It just never even entered my head. I think just watching people on TV from the Commonwealth Games Olympics was just a pretty awesome, exciting thing. Also, actually geeking out in my room watching all the other sports currently this week. So, um, yeah, it's awesome and... I'm I'm very happy to be here. It talks to me about the opening ceremony and just sort of being part <laughs> of something like that, walking yeah. out with, I guess, teammates but family too, right? I mean, mm. it's such a tight-knit group and all the rest of it and then and sort of being there in front of the world's media with all these other athletes, like, take us to that place. Um, well, Danny Wyatt was like, oh, I've got a trick. Stick to the outside, t- stick to the right, you'll get on camera. I was like, right, let's, let's do <laughs> of this. Of course you said that. <laughs> let's, just get, let's get the family's um, you know, reactions. Let's get some pictures. So we went to the right, off we go around, and there it is, a big fat camera in our face. So what do we do? Like children, we're like, ah, just like waving at it. And then and literally like an hour after um, it finished, I got my phone and there they are, all the pitch screenshots. Yes. The family saying, you got on, yes. And I was like, I'd, just follow Danny Wyatt, she knows everything. <laughs> it, it is quite remarkable, like, given you must have spent thousands of hours on television playing cricket games over the journey, you still get excited <laughs> yeah. when you see a camera. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, BBC, you know, we're loving it. Um, it just felt almost a bit surreal, I think. We were, we were definitely fangirling everything that was happening that day, yeah. and it was an enormous occasion, and we were just trying to have fun, just be happy, smile, and enjoy and take it all in because not often you get to do stuff like that you don't feel like it's when you go to world cups and stuff you don't we don't really function like that Mm. um i think this is the first time we've kind of functioned differently in a tournament where it all just feels a little bit bigger and a little bit more crazy so it's not just about you and your team and what you're doing (laughs) exactly yeah you're the you're the ants in Uh this big board game does that kind of take pressure off in a way because it's your your lost in the in the bigger picture you're just one part of the bigger yeah ab- absolutely and it's not just about like obviously if you get to a final it's brilliant but you can still come third yeah and be celebrated <laughs> how good is that <laughs> whereas you come second you don't win you don't get the first place yep. you're a loser mm, right. um so that just itself is great yeah that's right very different i mean if, if you're a losing finalist in a world cup which you've been like a lot of times <laughs> no one celebrates that you know you're the first loser not the second winner if you know what i mean <laughs> Olympic yeah. Games and Commonwealth Games certainly have a, a different energy, you yeah. know. And whilst you might be, uh, you know, comparatively a smaller ant in this thing, to use Jeff's words from before, a lot of attention on you in the build-up to these Commonwealth Games about mm. your preparation for it, about how well you bowled against South Africa, but not playing the Test match, retiring yeah. from that format of the game, your age, of course, being 37 now. There was a milestone game that you played in to start the comp. I mean, it has been a lot about Catherine Brunt, hasn't it? It has, and I wish you'd all shut up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, obviously, I mean, there is going to be attention, like you said, for obvious reasons. Like I've had milestones just so happen to come all at the same mm. time. Um, I am the oldest person in the team of literally 17-year-olds. Um, there are things that make me stand out and I'm still taking the new ball. So obviously, if I do something with that, I'll create attention. And I, I'm not one that hates it. I, I do like to get on with my job quite quietly uh, and under the radar, but... It's not going to affect me. Um, right. If anything, the kids... Us, shouldn't call them kids. They hate that. Um, the yeah. youngsters. Um, <laughs> the younger generation are taking the, the pressure. The future. Yeah, they're taking it off me, to be fair, because it's kind of pressure on them now um, yeah. to come in and perform. Like they're, they're, 
coming in as 17, 19 year olds and taking Anya's job who's done it for sure. you know, 14 years so they've got to con- kind of replicate what she did all of a sudden just, just now so and they are and they're doing a fabulous job and I'm, and I'm loving being alongside it to be honest it's given me that new lease of life You talked about doing something with the new ball and you did I mean you couldn't have lined it up much better <laughs> than 100th T20 game yeah. for England you get the special embroidered cap you know all that kind of business that they like to do these days yeah. have a little cry then you go out to bowl <laughs> Damn. you Saw spotted that, that. you tried to hide it in the cap but you know you, the, the prying <laughs> eyes of the TV cameras are everywhere you weren't waving at the cameras at that point and then you come on to bowl and then bang first ball yeah. wicket I mean it, it was pretty fun like it was fun just watching yeah, it it yeah. must have been fun doing it yeah I mean I was I was at the top of mark actually I had a little moment um, and I went to Darren Goff. Um, he, it's no secret, everyone knows I modelled my action on him and I mm-hmm. loved watching him when I was a kid because he was mental like me. <laughs> but I was at the top of my mark and I was like, right, how do I open this games? I got a swinging ball here. And you have to use the swing. But swing is, is more of an absolute key for the in-swingers. Mm-hmm. You've got it as if you're an in-swinger, you've got to use that swing. That's what females for some reason find it really difficult the ball coming back in for me away swing in my head as an away swinger you can sometimes swing the ball into the arc of a batter and that gives them a free their arms mm-hmm. um, if there's no pace or bounce in the wicket it's just like a freebie and it's like thanks for coming especially you've got to slip in there no cover it's like do I want to open up my games potentially giving this person a freebie no I'm going to go to Darren Goff what, would, what did he used to do Darren Goff used to running and bowl what the one that nips back in as his first ball just to get himself into his spell because mm-hmm. he felt like that settled him down he'd know like what was coming out then what his wrist felt like what his actions how that's tracking what the pitch is tracking like so I said I'm going to bowl the one that comes back in I'm just going to get myself in take you know take the edge off yeah, settle the nerves and it worked and I was yeah delighted yeah what a way to do it <laughs> hearing you talk about the nip backer as like the the, the nerve settler yeah when historically mm. i mean there's something it's like the stiff drink of bowling the stiff drink <laughs> yeah. of bowling when historically i mean the stock delivery for an outswing bowler which you know you've made an art form for well an international career that spans nearly two decades yeah. but always, i've always had a bit of a theory that there's something more artistic about outswings you're bringing the slips into play yeah, yeah. it's always a beautiful way to get a player out caught behind or caught in the cord and whereas the the in swinger if it goes wrong it tends to like runs with fewer fielders yeah, on the onside yeah, yeah. but that you sort of see that nip backer as the one that can kind of get you into the groove and yeah. I, I like how you mentioned Darren Goff there as well <laughs> similar part of the world that you grew up in of course yeah you being the Barnsley Express Let, let's go back there let's go all the way back to the start you and your five siblings and playing with your brothers in the nets at Barnsley Cricket Club your dad playing on a Saturday um, and where you first fall in love with the game? Yeah, um, I was about eight. I'm, I'm probably uh, not going to say I remember much before then, but um, certainly thought about cricket before then. Daniel is three and a half years older than me and he's the one, I'm the youngest, he's the next one up. The rest of them had nothing to do with, with cricket, to be honest. There's a couple of cross-country runners in there and, and so on. Some really intelligent siblings, like the brainiacs, and then you got me and Daniel. He would kill me for saying he wasn't intelligent. <laughs> he is. Don't get me wrong. But Lucky nobody listens <laughs> to this podcast, <laughs> Catherine. But we were the. Yeah, he would definitely <laughs> listen to this. Um, but we were the sporty ones, and anything he did, I wanted to do or be. So I mean, he could have wanted to be an astronaut, and I would wanted to be an astronaut. Anything. Right. I just looked it up to him so much, and I always thought that I could, could, 
I never doubted myself, which is absurd because he was so much bigger than me. I was a little kid and he used to like, dominate me at everything. But I always thought I was in with a chance for some reason. So playing basketball, <laughs> playing pillow rugby in the living room, whatever it was, I would compete. And that's where I've got my, I guess, my pizzazz and my, you know, my passion, my fire, certainly, ah. um, from just being wound up off the scale by, by our Daniel. So... I soon learned in the back garden the arts of cricket and swing bowling because everybody knows the um, wind ball is an excellent ball, especially mm. when taped up with uh-huh. electrical tape, um, which Daniel showed me. And so when he kept smashing me back over my head into the school field and making me fetch it, I soon got bored of that uh-huh. and I wanted to find a way where I didn't have to do that as often. So he then shows, I'll make it a bit easier for you, our kid, and taped up the ball show me how to swing it um, and I would try other things like knocking his head off <laughs> short pitch bowling <laughs> or I'd say let's play off 15 yards I think 19 is a bit harsh for a 10 year old you know uh-huh. and so I just went from there and actually when I actually later on in life went to women's cricket I found it so easy I was just like this is a breeze because you know my brother's been terrorising me for years already and <laughs> you know it's, this is I quite like this this is um, you know laid back Catherine so yeah, that's where it all started and kind of how it went on. How does pillow rugby work? So you stuff it up your top and yeah. then you just run into each other as fast <laughs> as you possibly can. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Like, let's not be trying that at home, anyone. Yeah. <laughs> but it was good fun at the time. Yeah, I used to play a version of that game. I think we called it Momentum. You were just like, <laughs> you just yell, Momentum, and crash into each other. It was good. Our version was getting the, 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 the cushions from the couch and boxing. Oh, yeah. In the absence that, of boxing gloves, yeah, my yeah. brother and I would hit the suitcase out of each other with the... Uh... Oh, and your suitcase, you just mentioned that. We used to go down the stairs in that. Get in the suitcase and off you go. And the I don't know why we, Yeah, but into the... Unfortunately, there's a wall at the bottom mm. on the bend. There was for a while. Yeah, into that. Good fun, good times. Have Barnsley ever, you know, given you, like, the keys to the city or something? Because I feel like you've done more to make that town famous than anywhere because it gets attached to your nickname. Suddenly, for free publicity, everyone's heard of Barnsley, even if they haven't been to Barnsley. <laughs> You should, funny you should say that I got the keys this year did you? yes as soon as I got back from the World Cup I am you know an honorary member now it didn't get me any free coffees or discount no. in stores but which I'm a bit sad about But is it a literal key? Like, it's a scroll key? it's a leather okay. scroll is it the freedom of the city? it is, is that, freedom of yeah, the city yeah. so that means you, is there any I know historically you couldn't be arrested yeah. does that hold to this day? I think, I think <laughs> the, only, the only person that you would know than me is Dickie Bird Right. He got it. It's actually got a statue, so I'm waiting for my statue. Oh, okay. yeah. Uh, that, would, that would be nice. Yeah. That'll work. You, you, a statue of you appealing and yeah. him shaking his head. Yeah, because Dicky Bird's <laughs> like this, and every now and then somebody puts some knickers on his finger, oh. um, which is a bit... So I'd well. probably prefer not to be like this. Maybe, maybe it could be you, or maybe it could be you down there giving it to him, having not given a dismissal. <laughs> yes. Given it's kind of your. Sounds about right. And I suppose that's always been your way, hasn't it? Certainly, as long as I followed your career, you've been one that gets fired up. You said something before, and I nearly, I nearly jumped in. You go, I just like to go about my work quietly. Hmm, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. When I'm on the pitch. But, but going back to sort of again the start, and you know, you threw the Yorkshire age groups. It's clear you're probably going to play for England on the trajectory that you're on but then you take quite a significant break from the game Mm -hmm. in 2002 for a couple of years which you've spoken about you struggled with your body you struggled with your weight all the sensitivity uh, that goes hand in glove with something like that have you had a chance sort of 20 years later to think about 
how it was for you at that time. I know you've been quite open about your mental health, but mm-hmm. about that particular moment because it could go either way yeah. when you're at that formative age, can't it? Yeah, I mean, I was I was pretty fragile back then. I looked up to my all my brothers and sisters massively, and so if they had something to say, I would, I would listen. I still do. Um, and at that time, I had my sister with me, um, who had gone through similar struggles not the bullying or anything but certainly the weight weight issues probably a bit more severe than me um Mm. which I won't go into but that was nice it's not nice but it's good to have someone to see that in and know and she moved forward she she got better and she did great she did great going forward from that and so I I followed that as well and that developed you know Doing it, doing things on your own, achieving things on your own, give you the will and the and the motivation you need, going forward as an adult. And so I was in a slightly stronger position when I got to 2002 to make that decision to play for England because she was like Claire Connor came up to me and was said, based on that Yorkshire year I'd had for, for Yorkshire, I was a standout bowler and she had this list of bowls and she went, we've got an injury. And we'd love you to come and play in this tour. And I was like, ooh, what the? I don't want to do that. Scary ass. <laughs> um, also, not ready. But, yeah, I just thought, wow, what an offer. Like, but, nah, don't want to. Like, I just didn't have any ambitions to play for England or be on that kind of stage. Or right. I'd not even heard of an England women's team. I didn't know it was real or anything. I didn't know they were wearing skirts either. I would have been a clear no. <laughs> um, and so my sister, that Claire, walked off. And my sister just like pulled me to one side. She's like, "What are you doing?" I was like, "What do you mean? I'm, I just don't want to." She's like, "You're gonna make the biggest mistake of your whole life." She's like, "What? Why won't you do it?" And I said, "Well, we've got tickets. I think it was to Glastonbury. I always say East Festival, but I think it was Glastow. I was like, I want to go. I want to go. Like, and I've got my driving test coming up or something." And she's like, are you, are you having a laugh? She was like, we can sell those and you can go every year after this if you want. I'll buy them. Mm-hmm. But you have, to, you have to say yes. And I was like, oh, fine. So I just like marched up to Clerk and I was like, I'll play. <laughs> <laughs> and fine, then, you yeah, talked me into fine. it. Fine. And then literally from that moment on, I never looked back and it was the best decision ever made. Thank you, and Rachel. You probably never got to Glastonbury again either because you I always would have been training been or playing. <laughs> I've been to the V Festival once on yeah. a year where I was injured. Right. <laughs> it's grand. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much impossible with, with <laughs> the is. life that you've had. That is part of it, isn't it, when you commit to being... I know you weren't a professional cricketer then, but a, yeah. you know, an international cricketer and later down the track a professional that... It gets lost a bit that you, you miss out on pretty normal stuff that kids get to do in those mm. years when you're able to make a few more mistakes privately. Well, your mistakes are more yeah. in the public eye because that's just the nature of being a, uh, an athlete playing for your country. If you stuff up at a festival and get in trouble, whatever. Mm. And other things as well, like you know uh, who you get to hang out with in your own time and, yeah. and the types of experiences. Like I know you're well, well, well beyond that now. We're the same age and I feel like that's a long, long mm. part of my previous yeah. life. But you don't get quite that opportunity. You're, you're very much drilled into playing cricket. And by 2004, when you're 20-odd, uh, you're playing test cricket against New Zealand. I mean, it, it doesn't take long for you to be on the big stage. Yeah, I was 21, I think. But, I mean, you know me, I'm quite immature. And I've, I honestly, sometimes, if someone just listened to me and didn't see me or know my age, they'd probably think I was 17. <laughs> so, like, and I don't dislike that. I love being young at heart. Yeah. Um, I, I could put that down to why I'm still here because 
still fresh in my head and daft about most stuff so um, you can imagine how young I was at 21. I was actually the quietest person in the team then. Really? Which is obviously completely opposite now. Right. How did that happen? How did you, I mean, was that you? Everyone was terrifying. Yeah, Everyone was so old. Shy, in that, right? We had a fair few 30-odd-year-olds and who are now teachers as well. They're a little bit terrifying. Claire mm. Taylor, she was straight face, worked extremely hard. There was a lot of proper working hard people there. Oh, Claire and Connor it, was a teacher too. Yeah, exactly. And so it was Lucy like you're Pearson. sitting in a room of school mistresses yeah. as far as you were The concerned. person I was meant to take over was Lucy Pearson. She's six mm. foot three and is a teacher at Wellington <laughs> private school. Like These people were really intimidating and I was this little fish in a big pond. And it, I mean, they intimidated me, but the sport didn't and the competition right. didn't. Um, but it was, it was pretty cool. Um, being amongst them I've learned a lot of lessons from them they were great I've got a lot of disreputable friends like in their 40s and stuff who still go to Glastonbury and so on every year so like you can still do that like that time in your life can still come <laughs> catch up I just I just yeah. want to reassure you like yeah, yeah. it's you true can, like... you can be a, you can be act like a 20 year old at 45 <laughs> now it's fine I, w- I won't be shamed in being yeah. the old person at concerts yeah but there'll be plenty of others as well. Yeah. So you won't be yeah. on your own. So you come back and, and make that leap to be an England player. You're super fit. You're very quick. You, know, you have the reputation of being the fastest bowler in the country pretty early on. Get some early World Cup exposure. doesn't go particularly well. Then there's the 2005 Ashes. You know, that's this breakthrough moment for you in your career. 14 wickets in two test matches. The, and the critical half century you make with Isha, we've spoken to Isha on this podcast about that before, that, that partnership that goes on to secure the Ashes for England against Australia for the first time in 42 years. Mm. You know, suddenly you're in Trafalgar Square and all the rest that goes hand in hand with that, with the, with the men's team having beaten mm. Australia, you've beaten Australia, you've taken 14 wickets and been a real presence. Do you often think about that? Does it seem like a dream that you were part of that, that parade Isha, through the streets of London? We don't stop bringing it up, to be fair, <laughs> even though it's a thousand years ago. Um, she loved that. We, we loved it. Um, we got to go into the nets who um as like openers obviously because we went overnight mm, and mm. we're like yeah we'll go in the nets and we'll make claire taylor th- have like a hundred throwdowns to us because the players did throwdowns for each other then right and we were used to i was used to giving loads of throwdowns to obviously the senior players so me and each were lapping it up we must have had a hit that morning before we went back on for like an hour and a half we were like just pepper us come on pepper us because that's what fitzpatrick wanted to do at the time she's yeah. bloody terrifying and i'm not sure there's been anyone scarier since i'm going to be honest um Vlamanik is up there, but mm. she was, you know, blonde mullet charging in, yeah. you know, telling you to cheer up Charlie every five minutes and wrapping you in the ribs. It was an exp. It was just we were having an absolute ball. It was great fun. We knew it wasn't on us to save this Test match. Whatever we did, it wouldn't be our fault. We were ten and eleven. Like how could it be? It's not on us. But yeah. what we did is we really we really wanted it. We were enjoying it, and we saw it as this huge battle. I was like. I'll be dead before she gets me out. Like, there was somebody... I always... I Every tour I've ever been on, I've always picked someone that I go into battle with, whether it's Elise Perry, Sophie Devine, whoever, Atapatu. I've always got to be better. Yeah, Shafali Verma. I've got to have a battle. I've got to get into the battle. But mm-hmm. I've also... Then the aim is to be better than what they were that day. Yep. And so she was the person who was terrorising everyone. And everyone was saying how scared they were of her. So I was like, well, I won't be scared and I will be better than you. 
in this game and I made it my life's mission to be better and so like the way I bat or bowl had this real meaning to it and Ish was just having a (laughs) she'll never forgive me for not letting her get a 50 I made a bad decision on a sweep and got out (laughs) when she was on 38 and she'll never forgive me but it was that was has and always will be one of the hardest times to replace in terms of the how it felt and the moment and the fun and the because right. I, it was one of the last times where I was allowed to be completely free and without any fear of failure or anxiety that was the the last time I probably felt huh. without those feelings because that's what professional cricket does now right it brings that added bit of expectation anxiety and feeling sick and sleepless nice and you do go up things do start becoming more serious and you do start playing for your career and and the security around you and there's just always more but that was the last time I remember being a kid and just I don't know living life without any worries like this overlap period of being able to do both to play and to be a kid yeah exactly yeah and it's not long before you you know have to go through the the ringer of having injuries mm. starting to infect your career, the the back injury especially, um, mm. which means you miss an Ashes series. You, you know, it takes a lot to recover from that. Um, mm. Give us a sense of the lengths you had to go to at a pretty young age mm. to make sure your back was fit to continue on being uh, what you needed to be as England spearhead. Yeah. To be honest, unless you've been through an a serious injury, it's like one of the darkest places you can ever be. It's hard to describe like where you have to go in your head to to keep going because and Heather's experiencing it a little bit now but feeling pain all day every day and not knowing when it's going to end is yeah. like one of the worst things ever like I remember one time just walking around my kitchen island um, at two o'clock in the morning just walking around it and round it and round it and banging on it and just to change this feeling and then just like banging my head on the bifold doors it's like mm-hmm. that sounds so messed up but it's hard to like nine weeks straight of just pain constant without us there's no switch off I think the only time of relief was like between 11 and 2 during the day where I'd start to feel a little bit more myself still there but yeah it was extremely difficult but it gave me like this enormous amount of resilience and suddenly I knew what lengths I could go to and how far I could stretch myself and And like when you're up against something you already know that you've done something harder yeah like nothing could be worse than this fact like so the next time it happened like I knew I could get through it but right like it's, it's something I think about quite a bit with the way that human minds work that um, a lack of surety is like the hardest thing for us to deal with. You know, if someone says you're going to be in agony for nine weeks <laughs> and you know it's going to be nine weeks, then you can kind of deal with that. But when it's just, yeah. this could be forever. <laughs> it might not be. It might stop sometime. Yeah. It might stop in two days. Like yeah. it could be over, but it's it's just not knowing, right? Yeah. Like, like getting delayed at an airport for six hours is annoying, but getting delayed when you don't know when the delay is going to end, mm. that's when people go crazy, yeah. when they don't. It's just not being able to be sure about the future. That's the absolute facts. Like that is the biggest part of it. And then on, I think on top of that was the, will I ever be the same again? Mm. I think I did. I definitely did lose 
some of myself that first time round, I definitely didn't come back the way I started. I'd say like a good 10% of me was left behind at that 2005 Ashes. Wow. And between the end of that injury to now, it happened again in 2014. Yeah. And the same thing, I've been working at 80% since then as well. Like, And it's, it's so sad because I knew what heights I was reaching. And I did get, there was a period after that first surgery where I got myself back and I was running in at 78 mile an hour. And I, I broke this Irish girl's arm and and I was feeling like, invincible again and then I started to deteriorate deteriorate again mm. and I knew that bowling fast wasn't for me like it had something had to change you couldn't keep doing it yeah no. and that's and, and kind of an interesting intersection because you know 2009 it's like the ultimate year for England women's cricket I mean you'll have other years where there's been success but 2009 yeah. beat Australia again once again you're instrumental in that taking six for 69 and nine wickets in in a test match you win the world t20 at Lords. You know, in front of a big crowd, at one stage you've got figures of three for six in the final. Yeah. Win the 50 over World Cup at North Sydney Oval. Um, again, sort of being able to win that for the second time. By that point, you may not be quite so quick, but you hear of yeah. bowlers who do have those existential crises early in their career and they need to find a way to become a different kind of bowler. Yeah. Someone like Dennis Lilly jumps out, yeah. you know, one of the greats all time, who was nowhere near as quick after his back surgery, but became yeah. one of the greatest, if not the greatest Australian fast bowler of all time, that there's some, there's a comparison there with you, isn't there? That you you became a far more resourceful bowler yeah. because you had to. Yeah, and Robbo, when Robbo came in, he said that to me. He said, "You can't. So most of the time, you can't teach an old horse new tricks." Like, and but my character is, am I allowed to swear? You please. My character was, <laughs> well, fuck you. I'll show you. Watch this, and then I gave him twenty five percent more. But good on him. He knew how to get the best out of me he knew that that challenge would he also said after I knew that would either make you or break you right and it did right. some people some people didn't want to find that extra 20 and they left I wanted to find that extra 20 because I'm more fuck you I, I will show you if you doubt me I'll I'll, I'll right. you know I'll do it but then I'll do it and then some so that's what I did in 2008 that's when I was at my quickest and then 2000, just before 2009 I made it more about skill. I was with my almost lifelong coach, Paul Shaw, and I just said I wanted, to, I wanted, I want the swing back. I want, I want just the swing, and I want it to be all about that. I didn't have the other balls then, but I wanted to make that my super strength. Right. Uh, my accuracy has always been there, and that's what I've pride myself on. But the, I wanted to make that tournament about my swing because um, I just thought that's be the how I would be the standout and. The day before that Lord's final, um, T20 final, um, I worked for like two hours with Paul and got my swing back. Um, yeah, and that was where, at the start of me being more skilled and less about just charging in like a tool, right. <laughs> trying to pull as fast as I can. <laughs> there is that, I think, and all seamers, I think, will try and flip that switch. Right. Because Adam talked about it like an existential crisis. Was there that point for you? Because it sounds like when you're a kid, cricket's not that important like you play yeah. it but it's not who you are is, yeah. is there that point a few years later where having to change the way you bowl does sort of reflect something about does it feel like you're losing part of the way you see yourself or like the mm. identity you've built for yourself in your head and you're having to become a new person or, or was it not so enmeshed as that every time I step over the boundary rope I'm the same person right. on that pitch as in 
what you see on the pitch has always been the same person there. But before I step on, that person's changed quite a bit um, okay. over the years. And I think more because, like I said earlier, it goes from you being a kid and having no worries and no... Um, I forgot the word, but, you know, I mean, your mum and dad take care of everything. Yeah. You have anything. No responsibilities. No responsibilities. And, and then you turn into a semi-adult who you need to start thinking about a house maybe. Um, but you've just started playing for England, so you m- might want to just enjoy that a bit. But actually you've just realised shit's getting real. Yeah. You know um, how to use a washing yeah. machine, but sometimes <laughs> other people do it for you. Yeah, like I didn't go to uni, so I didn't have the whole... You learn how to cook and clean here, fend for yourself. Didn't have that. Kind of still having it done for you. And then, for instance, the first time I ever took my own flight for a holiday, I missed it because I wasn't told where to be at what time. Right. And I was like, oh, shit. (laughs) I'm supposed to learn how to be an adult here. Where's my passport? Yeah. (laughs) So, like, growing up, having failing relationships because you're on tour constantly or... You've got a mortgage, but you don't earn enough money to keep that house. So you have two jobs alongside your England role. I actually had three jobs outside of playing cricket for England. What What were you uh, doing before the um, <laughs> I had a coaching job um, quite in North Yorkshire. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked with my dad as his PA. And I also worked in town, in Barnsley, for a legal secretary uh, as right. like the filer. And I, yeah, I, I loved... I love doing stuff. I love earning money. I love like making things happen. Like I'll work as hard as anyone just to get to where I want to be. I, I have no problem in that. It, yeah, you were of that generation. You're, we were here <laughs> with Izzy Wong, you know, half an hour ago. She'll never experience that. While she's a professional cricketer, I know she's done other work, but her life will be probably for the foreseeable future, running in and bowling for a living, right? Which is what yours has been yeah. since 14, 15, when yeah. the central contracts come in. Pretty convenient time, in a way, in hindsight, because your back flares up again. And, you know, yeah. you had that safety net where yeah. you had the chance to rehabilitate, you had the chance to get right again. It might well have been the case that if central contracts didn't come in, second time around, you might have said, stuff it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've achieved quite a bit already. I've been an international cricketer for a decade. Yeah. There, a lot of your teammates from that generation were retiring at about 28, 29, 30. You could have been one of them. But instead, mm. there's this different life, this second career you can have as a full professional. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew I still had more to give and I knew I was, at that time, one of, still the best in the world mm. or, or within that top three and not being challenged like there wasn't Izzy Wong's and Katie yep. George's and Tash Farrant's and you know whoever we've got we've, we've we seem to have millions production line yeah now. exactly yeah. and it just wasn't there and I've always said that who's who's here to push me out mm. of my place come on someone I want yeah, that fight I want it yeah take me on like I have no problem competing with a 19 year old but they just weren't and so I thought well, I'm not done yet um, even though if I have to go through this again I'm literally going to jump like it's it was that awful so I knew I could go through it and I knew what it took to come back and I knew if I came back and it felt all right I would give it another good crack and once I started giving it a go it's it's like an obsession like it's addictive Mm -hmm. like the once I mean you get to go on the pitch and do the the fun part for like five percent of the everything else is training and (laughs) grueling hard work but it makes up for it it's something like 2017, you know, that World yeah. Cup that day at Lords, is that a point where you go, okay, everything was worth it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. 
Yeah, like that, that Robbo era. And, you know, mm. I think in 2015 is when Australia get away from you a little bit. They have central mm. contracts as well. They have a pretty convincing win in the mm. women's ashes over here and they start doing their own thing. But Robbo comes along and, and you know, you catch up the Australians in the mm. space of one World Cup cycle and you have to make shifts inside the team. People like Lottie and Lydia, who you, um, of course, played with a lot, have made way. Robbo does put the acid on players to be fitter. I mean, well documented. He told people, you've got to be fit if you want to play for me. You're explaining the, the test that he put to you personally. Mm-hmm. Didn't you go on and win the bloody thing at Lords? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was thinking about this this morning, knowing we were going to come and talk to you about the Lionesses winning last night at, mm-hmm. at Wembley. And you know, we, Jeff and I earlier were discussing it in the context of that being a moment that you can... Uh, identify with on the basis of what happened in front mm-hmm. of a packed Lords in 2017. The game's completely changed. You're well and truly back on the park doing your thing. You're leading the attack. You're winning at Lords, and you're doing it with a, with a, with a new coach, a new captain, and a different environment altogether. Yeah. Um, I think with Robbo at the time, we knew, God, he made us work. Yeah. Like, fuck, there were f- those four years leading up to that World Cup, it was like... If you want to ever play in a tournament where you have no regrets, fuck, that was it. Like, yeah. mm. if we weren't going to win that, then I couldn't have given a shit because they gave it absolutely freaking everything. Like, my fitness was the best. I was fitter than anyone, stronger than anyone. Like, I took it to the extreme. I took pride in it. Like, because just that pat on the back from Robbo was like gold. It was like, if you got a pat, mm. you're like, oh, I'm excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I was like, I made sure I beat Danny Wyatt. She's always been the fittest because she's rapid and all. I beat her in the yo-yos number one and I won all the strength tests so I was like buzzing and then all that we were training that's the most we'd ever trained he had us at Loughborough every week everybody was crying on a weekly basis because they were like oh god don't send me to Loughborough again for a four day gruelling camp and it was just week in week out week in week out and then the away tours we'd go to Abu Dhabi Dubai and it would just be that put you in the middle of the desert so yeah, you've got nothing yeah. to do but bloody play from <laughs> cricket against lads no less like lads we were playing against like Millfield School like all these bloody great academies and they were sometimes trashing us but sometimes we would win and so like I said we got there yeah. and no stone was left unturned and we knew if in terms of skill we might not be as good as Australia but the fight's always been there, but we knew we'd done absolutely everything we could possibly do to try and win. So I think having that behind us and beating the Aussies in that round round on the way mm. was like, that was a turning point. Yeah, that felt like the belief moment. Oh, like absolutely. That, that switch flick. Yeah. Catherine, it was a great privilege to interview yourself in that when you announced your engagement back for The Guardian, um, how many years ago it was now, 2019, and you told a beautiful story to me about being on the balcony of the oh, home God. dressing room Cringe. at Lords. <laughs> it was good though, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, home balcony after you've won the World Cup and that's when you decided to pitch up to Nat and say, you know what? A bit of Kenny um, G was playing in the uh, background. It, it's, time, it's time to be, uh, it's time for us to, time for you to be my girlfriend, or words to that effect. And after you've been, as she puts it, um, you've been um, pursuing her for some time, she finally, um, finally agreed. I mean, it was a great story at the time and, and, and so on. But there was also challenges laden in, in that with um, what you described to me at the time as your family not being quite so keen on it all. But yeah. but yeah, the idea that you had found your, your partner in the dressing room, I mean, it's pretty special. Yeah, well, um, obviously the cricket takes up a fair bit of your life and, um, you know, the people you meet are limited. <laughs> you don't get to... You know, 
<laughs> options are sorry not right. to say that that was a last resort but um yeah it like, sounds like a breakfast buffet at a hotel where you're like oh well, there's not many options yeah, like, i guess i'll have this stale croissant that's you know. <laughs> a stale croissant um but yeah like we weekends are lost growing up you don't yeah. have weekends you play cricket on a weekend yeah. you don't get to go out festival clubbing is minimal like, unless you go to uni and then you're allowed a little week weekday time out but yeah i mean me traveling the world all year round every year for the last 20 years is kind of how it is so naturally i grew a massive bond with natalie and we became best friends and i didn't want to ruin that friendship mm. by because obviously everyone knows you take it to the next level uh, then it's there's no going back you can't be you can't be best friends after it's just not mm. a thing everyone it's, it's the classic not a premise thing. of every every <laughs> romantic comedy has yeah. this yeah, yeah. like, oh do we do we venture into <laughs> yeah, the we unknown can still be friend no you cannot yeah. um so i i always like not always knew she will tell you there's no doubt for her ever um but it was for me actually for quite a few like four years I guess Mm -hmm. before I made the right decision but I'm actually really impatient too so I thought that was really good of me (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I'd never been more sure about anything in my life she's like the perfect human as you all aware like yeah it was it was the right thing it was a great day even though I made it as cringe as possible but the wedding was fabulous and I know it also sounds cringe to say it was the best day of my life, but it actually was. Right. And I am the tightest northerner ever with my money. But every penny we spent on that was worth it. <laughs> Tell me about the wedding. Well, we, we went to Presswold Hall in Loughborough, keeping it local. Yeah. Um, but it's keeping f- it women's yeah, cricket. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, we ha- we've, we've got a dog together, Bella, and she we take her around there all the time. And I was like, let's just get married here. Like We were meant to do it in France in Chamonix years ago. Um, COVID ruined that Finchy, our manager ruined that Finchy. Um, the scheduling <laughs> ruined it so we were just like let's do it local we can get it done let's go here but it was this big grand hall and I was like now they were renovating the barn there and Nat was like that's a bit of me so we had this lovely barn dance um, all night had a COVID mash up all the players ill the next day <laughs> oh no <laughs> but, oh, couldn't play cricket but Actually, it was a good job we all got COVID then because now we haven't got it in the Commonwealth. And we've got the immunity, so well done me for the oh, COVID party. Perfect. Um, like it was the chickenpox parties yeah, as a kid. It was an awesome day. All the cricketers were able to be there, which is great for me, past and present. Um, and, yeah, my brother walked me down the aisle and it was perfect. That sound it. It's like this... Uh this mesh between your personal life and your, and your cricketing life through that time. I, I have a recollection of watching you on the back of a golf cart in a hotel in St. Lucia when you're back when again, oh, 2018 gosh. World Cup. And I, I think we talked about you in retirement before, but you said something to me at some point or another mm. saying, if we win this World Cup, I might, I might pull the pin <laughs> because it'll be enough for me. Winning the yeah. World T20 will be sufficient for me at that point well, of your career. Well, I was in a pretty bad place then. Yeah, and you, and you mm. explained later, of course, that that had really set you back a bit, mm. that missing a World Cup, not really knowing where your cricket would be, you know, fourth time around by this stage mm. with your back, but also having, like, you know, your personal life's going really well. You know, I'm, uh, the reason I remember the golf cart was Nat was there for you, you know, as she would be, albeit before the world knew, but, you know, very tight mm. unit within the side. And you've got to go again. You've got to find a way to, to go back to the well and, and recover and decide mm. to go back to it. And, I mean, the fact that it's nearly five years since then, or four years, rather, mm. since then, and you're still going strong, I mean, that takes some determination. <laughs> um, what, what has it been that even though it looked like it might be all over for you in 2018, that's kept you going time and time again? Um, I've got some pretty good lessons as a kid. Yeah, some hard to talk about. 
um whoa just got real um like being bullied for as long as i can remember as a kid always made me like keep turning up you mm. just got even though you don't want to you got to keep turning up that's just one thing my dad was a miner for 25 years he ran to work and ran from work and we never saw him and just like if he can do that christ i can train i can go to training for a couple of hours even though it hurts my grandma's job in the war was to identify body parts and send them to the families like do you know what i mean like i just feel Mm. privileged as a person in what i get to do and what i get to experience so no matter what i've been through or my family's been through like um it's always like you can't complain you can't it doesn't seem worthy of a of quitting or like not doing something that somebody else would wish they could do so yeah it never feels bad enough or hard enough Mm. to quit and I think I, I'm i not a quitter um, and I won't see it like that when I finish um, as quitting obviously it will just be um, that I did the best I could do for as long as I possibly could it'll be a graceful exit to Glastonbury <laughs> <laughs> get the, me there The um, I mean the troughs that you had with your mental health like you know it, it sounds like it's cyclical to some point or it, it's it comes and it goes I mean this is something that I identify with myself is that do you anticipate that's something that'll keep happening that you'll have to keep managing through your life from here or is it yeah definitely like I can talk about it because I think it's important doesn't mean I find it easy and mm. I don't want to just go into the next room and cry about it I do it's just like I said it's, it's important that people can not sympathise, like... um, Identify with... Yeah, identify with it and know that they're not the only person going through it. Mm. Um, And to know that you can go through all these shite things and still reach the absolute pinnacles of whatever it is you want to do, they they can. And when I have a kid, whenever that might be, because Nat wants them, um, (laughs) I'm going to have to go through that with them and it'll all happen again. And hopefully it won't happen to them. Um, But, yeah, that's something that is possible is a possibility and and I know I'm going to be extremely protective but I've got to learn from my experiences and um and handle it in in the right way but yeah like I said it'll it'll carry with me for the rest of my life but I think I the way I think about it now is in a positive way and not in that shit dark place where I used to be in right I'm mindful that we could keep talking probably about (laughs) this for an hour or two you've got places to be so I'll try and close it up what would be enough I mean I said that back in 2018 you might have considered retirement you go back and search it you you first started talking about this in 2013 it's a long time to be (laughs) in one one form or another at least having that as part of your sort of yeah. Um, profile, right? Yeah. Some cricketers, it's a year or two. Yeah. Think yeah, of Jimmy, yeah. right? Maybe three years. He's yeah, yeah. at 40. This is like Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. Like <laughs> yeah. He's talking about packing it in the whole That's way right. I mean, and, and, we, and we've intentionally steered away from retirement speculation, but you did leave Test Cricket behind this year yeah. after an excellent performance in Canberra that must have been very proud of you, for you, getting beyond 50 Test wickets, and you're probably the last woman who'll ever do that, by the way, which is sad, but that's a whole different yeah. debate. But for you, do you feel as though... What would satisfy you walking away now? Is it a particular trophy eyeing off? Yeah. You know, because you kind of have done it all. So yeah. it becomes hard at that point about what's the right dismount um, or are you just waiting for the moment you wake up one day and say, actually, my body 
doesn't want me to push on? Is it more that or no, is it more an achievement? Morning. <laughs> yeah, happens most um, mornings, doesn't it? So the way I think of it is is that I, I do know in the back of my head I'm, I'm happy, I'm satisfied. Mm. I have done what I wanted to do. I have won the 50-over World Cup, the T20 World Cup, Ashes Series. I've been to number one in the world. I've been to number one all around in the world. You know, I've won series on series and... Um, being there for the next generation, I played. With, I've made the best mates I possibly could in life, and got a hundred caps in each format, and been the leading wicket taker in every format. And I'm just those things never really ever meant anything to me. I just wanted to steam in, have fun, Break jump on my own. mates, scream words of expletives. <laughs> um, <laughs> And just keep just keep doing that and keep travelling the world and being with my mates. Like I'm, I am a lonely, um, needy person. So I'm gonna miss Nat when she's travelling eight months a year. Maybe the commentary team will have me and I'll be there. <laughs> um, um, but I, I honestly do feel like like I've completed it. If it's a game, I feel like I've completed it. And I don't know what it is that's holding me back. It's some sort of drug. I think it is. It is quite addictive and. The one thing I did say is I want to keep playing as long as it's as long as I'm doing myself proud. If I'm if I'm playing at any less level or I'm you know, one of those people where you go, I think you she's done, she needs to mm. you know, she's not looking her best, she's actually getting worse. I don't ever want to go out like that. I wanna be on top of my game, so yeah. But maybe if you've achieved all of those things maybe this takes you right back to that partnership in that test match when you're a kid where now you can just play you don't have to try to achieve any yeah. one thing you don't have to have a particular and goal. I guess that's where you I'm at now yeah I'm there now I think that's why what you've seen in the last six weeks has been more me just running in and bowling with freedom I'm just having fun what a wonderful place to be and indeed a wonderful place to leave it Catherine Brunt we love watching you we love following your career and being involved in it on the sidelines and so pleased that you're having such a great time of it here at the Commonwealth Games and best of luck for the rest of the tournament. Thanks for coming on The Final Word and, uh, and being one of the great characters of our game. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, I'm Ebony Rainford-Brent and you're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. It's The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins and Catherine Brunt today. Thank you to her for spending some time with us and, and being all smiles and all heart. It's always good when, you, when you're left wanting more and I, I, I guess, you know, I mentioned in the introduction before that uh, we, we could have kept talking for quite a long time, you know... I, there's still more I'm interested to ask her about maybe the, the end of the Mark Robinson era, not in a negative way, but just to kind of get her sense of that. The motivation to push through the pandemic when she spent months, what felt like months in that, in that Derbyshire travel lodge, which I know drove a lot of them slightly crazy mm. um, and uh, how tough that was missing her wedding. And, oh. you know, all of that must have been so taxing on someone who'd played so much international cricket. And as she totally. documented in the interview, you know, there's, there are these moments in her life when it was all, 
very tough to keep getting up, keep getting up. Then totally. adding well, like, that degree you know, of the, lockdowns and so on, it can only be worse. There's the Sartre, hell is other people. I think more likely hell is a Derbyshire travel lodge. Yes. <laughs> Probably if you go down the flamey elevator, it opens and that's where you are. And even the fact that that World Cup, when it finished in... Uh, February, March, wasn't it? March this year mm-hmm. in Christchurch. That that's the last time she was on the field with Anya Shrubsole. You know, and we spoke to Anya about her relationship with Catherine, but yeah, time meant we didn't quite get the chance to yep. return serve there. But an exercise in contrast as people, uh, but so effective together. And now I think it's lovely that she gets to usher in that next generation that she referred to. Mm-hmm. Someone like Izzy Wong, they, we, we got to watch them being interviewed before we spoke to Catherine and, you know, they clearly bounce off each other. There's great energy and you know that Izzy Wong's going to be the successor to Catherine Brunt. They've got mm. that lined up now and that's a great thing. Mm. Yeah, I'm, and, and I mean, being there for that, that must be part of what, Give someone the energy to say, I want to keep doing this. It yeah. must be exciting to to feel this freshening up, you know, to feel like you're part of growth, you know, to see you you always use the phrase of green shoots, you know, but yep. but there's something thrilling about seeing literal when you when you go into your garden and you see new fronds growing from mm-hmm. something that you want it to be growing from, not something you don't want it to be <laughs> growing from. There is something life affirming about that. You're literally watching life do the thing that it does. You're watching yeah. life flourish. Yeah, that, that, that's right. And, and I think that that last answer that she gave about feeling like she's a, a kid bowling in 2005 again before the first round of, of back injuries, I thought before speaking to her today that if England win the gold medal next week that she'll retire. My, mm-hmm. my, just my instinct, just my instinct was that she's told me before in other interviews, I'll, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'll consider retirement if... 2017-18 Women's Ashes. I mentioned there's interviews back to 2013-14 around the back injury. 2018 World Cup, which she didn't participate in because mm-hmm. of her back. You know, maybe even the 2019 Ashes, she said something like this as well. There have been moments in time, she's like, well, if we do that, then that will be enough for me. Mm. I thought the Com Games might be one of those. Mm. Now I'm not quite so sure, having talked to her. She yeah. might be doing what Jimmy Anderson's doing and in three years' time, convincing the world still, proving to the world over and over again that she is the best going around and therefore why would you move on? It feels like that, that might be in her future. Well, just a, Again, just, just a gut feel. That's the thing. And there is an obsession in sports coverage about retirements. It's all debuts and retirements. Oh, sure. new player. Oh, when are they going to leave? You know, because it gives you something to talk about. You don't have to retire at a certain point. It doesn't have to be about achieving a certain thing. And so if you've achieved a suite of things across your career, but all you actually want to do is play. You know, we see so many players who retire from the top level but go on to play at a, a level down for a longer yep. period of time because they want to keep playing. So why not, if you're good enough to play at the top, why not keep playing at the top? And I suppose you could. That's the beauty of the domestic structure that's now in place. It lets you go up and down the pyramid. The way mm-hmm. that Anya Shrubsell's done so well at the Southern Vipers this year as a, an assistant coach. That's another thing. What will Catherine Brunt be doing in five years' time if not bowling? I think she probably will be commentating. She was working um, on commentary through um, different parts of the test match and I think mm-hmm. a couple of the one days where she didn't play against South Africa when they were managing her with the rotations ahead of the Commonwealth Games stretch of cricket and um, she's clearly a natural in front of the microphone in front of the camera um, she's got great sense of timing as a communicator so maybe it will be the case that she steps from cricket field to commentary box fairly maybe, seamlessly maybe she'll be filing for a legal secretary maybe, maybe she maybe will she's not shy about hard work yeah I, I like all of that but yeah I, maybe what you're saying there about this fixation on retirement, it was more of a thing because she made it a bit of a thing. And mm. now that she's detached from that, yeah. 
and detached from that needing that next mountain to climb she's yeah. satisfied she's climbed all of the mountains it's all about it's the cream now isn't it it's the enjoyment she derives from what's left it's literally living in the moment you know not yeah. not worrying about the ambition the thing to attain or, or what has happened before it's just enjoying existence as it happens you know which is something that people keep reminding themselves to do all the time but yeah it's just a, a more general thing that with any player with any career basically as soon as they're in cricket once someone's 31 we go oh could be retiring soon you know <laughs> and yeah some of them do but some of them don't but from 31 to say 40 if you're james anderson retirement 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 that's mm. that's 80 percent of everything that is written about you is maybe this will be his last visit to this country like maybe maybe you won't maybe shut the fuck up i don't know maybe <laughs> get something more interesting to talk about so it does mean that uh we end the interview in a on a good note on a, on a high point there Thanks to everybody for listening. Of course, uh, this precedes our Storytime 100, which comes out probably on Saturday. We've already oh, recorded yeah. that. That was loads of fun. We had it with a, a studio audience of sorts with mm-hmm. our patrons and Discord pals uh, there with us on Zoom. If you like what we do, if you like these kinds of interviews uh, and you want us to do more of them and generally get around the world enjoying uh, what we do uh, as a podcast, patron.com forward slash the final word makes an enormous difference. It makes all the difference. To other supporters of ours, including Woodstock Cricket, if you want a new bat, woodstockcricket.co.uk, TFW20 is the offer code, advanced studio.com forward slash final word for your 15% off with them. We're grateful for everybody who helps get us on the park. At the moment, eight days a week, literally, mm-hmm. eight days a week. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sometimes sometimes nine. I think we have done up to nine shows yeah, a week in some yeah. weeks, depending when test matches are overlapping and all the rest of it. Uh, Commonwealth Games dailies going on with me and Natalie Germanos, who's been a great sport as well. And... Uh, Well, on and on we go. The final word, can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Bad Producer Productions, of course, is the label that we're on. Thank you, Dave Collins, our editor, and all the team back in Melbourne. And a final big thank you to Catherine Brunt. This has been The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lemon. Talk to you again soon. I had to go about